Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could be here. You're listening to the sixth part in our series called Hashtag Throwback. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax, enjoy. We're going to get right into the word this morning, so let's just stay standing. I believe that God wants to deposit something in our spirits. I believe it's a promise. And so we're in part six of the series going through the book of Genesis. Every single week in this series... I think God has spoken. He's going to speak this morning. Genesis 32, just to get us started. We're going to read a lot today, but I just want to start here. Verse 27, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have fought with God and with humans and have overcome. I want to call our message this morning, hashtag reputation restoration. Can we just clap our hands for the worship team? Thank you guys so much. Hey, you guys can take a seat. So happy to be here this morning. So happy every person is joining us for Church Online. We love you. So glad you could be here. Hey, really quickly, uh, online in the building, can you guys just make some noise? Anyone make some noise? If you heard my wife, Christy, preached last week. Anyone hear it? So good. So good. Um, if you haven't seen it, check it out online. I think she's lurking around here somewhere. Um, it was so good. And I think what made the message just like doubly as good is not only did she prepare a message for us, uh, but she's also uh, raising uh, baby twins right now. They're eight months old. I raised them too, but... Um, She's, she's really in there, just keeping them alive day in and day out. Like right now, she's keeping them alive. And so uh, it was amazing. And uh, it's interesting because like when it comes to babies and anyone that has kids, you know this, there's a great responsibility in terms of like just literally keeping them alive. Like that's, that's kind of like your main job, especially for the first couple years of their lives, like just make sure they live. And uh, although that's important, although the day in, day out stuff of being a parent and it changes, all that stuff's important. Um, I just happen to believe that one of the most important things you can do when it comes to your kids is name them. Like there's few jobs more important than naming your kid. And so for us, like, and anyone that's ever had to name their child before, you know it's kind of difficult to come up with a name. Um, one name is hard. Two names at a time is really hard. And so we had to come up with two names. And so what made it hard, um, other than the fact that we had to come up with two names, was for the longest time and for really no reason whatsoever, we just assumed that we were going to have two boys. And so for the first, like, four months, uh, all we were doing was coming up with boy names. And uh, when we found out that they were girls, we had to shift, shift gears uh, very quickly. And so when it comes to the name, I believe the name is very important. And so uh, when we were coming up with names, I had a few requirements uh, for my wife as we did this together. Requirement number one was that I said that the babies can't have weird names. Um, now, understand this. Uh, as a kid... You know, you, you, your worst fear as a parent is that your kids, you know, they get picked on, they get made fun of. Uh, at the end of the day, as a parent, you have very little control over that. The only thing you have control over is their name. And if they get made fun of because of their name, as a parent, that's on you because you name them. And so for us, I said, hey, Chris, 
Main thing is they can't have weird names, can't have names that people never can understand, never can pronounce it. That was just one thing that was really important to me. The other thing that was important, I said, Chris, I want their names to mean something. I want names with meaning. And so uh, for both of our babies, both their names have meaning. Uh, One of our girls, her name's Kensley. uh, Her name was Kensley Victoria. Victoria is her middle name, and she's named after uh, my grandma, uh, my dad's mom. And so that was significant, and that was special for us. Abigail, the other girl, uh, her name is significant because in Hebrew, uh, it means father's joy. Like, come on, somebody. Doesn't get much cuter than that. Yeah, you can clap your hands for that. Um, and so uh, those, those were two things that uh, really were important to me, that they uh, didn't get made fun of and that their names meant something. Uh, but it's interesting because I think for, for most of us, uh, when it comes to names, uh, we hope that our names mean something. Now, chances are, I don't know if you guys have done this before, but I would encourage you to Google your name because I guarantee your name means something. Now, even if it doesn't really mean something, someone on Google has made up something so that your name means something. Because I think as people, we want our names to have meaning. But one thing I've realized in life is that there's the meaning to our names, what our names literally mean. But I think a lot of times more important than what our names literally mean is the reputation that is attached to our names. Because like one of the hardest things when we had to name our kids was like sometimes we would like a name, but then we would think of someone we knew with that same name. You guys ever been there? And it's like, ooh, (laughs) yeah, that's not going to work out. It's why from this generation, and I'm very sorry for this, but there's probably going to be very few babies named Karen because it's just, there's a a negative connotation with that right now. And if your name's Karen, I'm sorry, you didn't do anything to deserve that. But um, it's just because what happens, right, there's the, the meaning of the name, and then there's the actual reputation that comes along with it. And one thing I've realized in life is that people, for the most part, don't really care what your name means. What they care more so is the reputation that's attached to it. This morning, I want to continue our series. We're in part six of a series at church we're calling Hashtag Throwback. And uh, what we're doing in this series, going through the book of Genesis, and the whole book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, the whole thing is in narrative. And so what that means is it's story after story after story. And it's been really cool every single week. Uh, We've been looking at these ancient stories, but God has brought something out into our modern day lives. Anyone here make some noise if you've been enjoying this series at all? so far. And so for the last three weeks, we've been looking at a character by the name of Abraham. And Abraham's story can be classified simply as Abraham was a man that God had made a promise to. A promise that through him, he was going to bless the entire world, that he would be a father of many nations. And really, if I could characterize God in the the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the God throughout the Bible, God is the God of the promise. I believe each and every one of us, God has made a promise in your life. God has something for you. He's the God of the promise. And so last week, where Christy left off, the promise to Abraham had finally come to fruition. He had a child named Isaac. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to actually skip a little bit. Someone say skip. You have to be real loud under those masks. Someone say skip. Come on. 
We're going to skip ahead a little bit, and uh, I actually want to not so much look at Isaac, who's the son of Abraham, but we're going to look at Isaac's two children, Jacob and Esau, and that's kind of where we're going to stay this morning, and so we're skipping a few generations, uh, and so Jacob and Esau will be the characters we're looking at, and so these are technically, or not just technically, they are the grandchildren of Abraham, and so uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at these two uh, guys, because I think through them, they're going to give us an idea and a picture of reputation. So uh, where we pick up our story, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, is about to give birth. And so no better place to start a sermon than in labor. Come on, somebody. So Genesis chapter 25 is where I want to pick it up. Verse 24 says this. It says, when the time came for her, speaking of Rebecca, to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. Come on, twin nation. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. Like, what kind of a baby? Uh, It says, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. He was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Once again, Isaac, and we didn't really look at it, kind of has the same problems as his father, which was infertility, and so in his late age, he finally has kids. And so, twin boys, Jacob and Esau. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. This is probably where the stereotypical man comes from, Esau. Well, Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. That's my kind of man right there. Verse 28, look at this. It says, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, I'm a brand new parent, so I don't want to flex on you guys with parent advice, Um, but I'll give you some quick advice. If you want to be a terrible parent, pick favorites. Simple as that. Uh, Just bad parent, pick favorites. Isaac loved meat, so he loved Esau because his son could hunt from him. Rebecca apparently loved uh, crocheting with Jacob, and so uh, they each had their own favorites. Uh, But the part I really want to look at and the part where we're going to go this morning, the part of significance, if it's on the screen, I want to look at their names. Now, the Bible is letting us know something very simply, is that Jacob and Esau, their names have meaning. Some of you guys are like, well, what do their names mean? So the Bible tells us that Esau was very hairy. And so Esau, the Hebrew word for Esau is literally hairy. That's what his name is, it's hairy. And so, just, yeah, super simple. Uh, Jacob, the Bible tells us when he was coming out, he was holding on to his brother's heel. And so Jacob in Hebrew, Yahan, his name literally means the one who grasps the heel. And so as you can see, these parents, not that original. It was kind of like just what they saw. That's how they named them. Now, we could get on them for their lack of originality, but I think inevitably it's kind of cute, right? Like one day, like, Ma, where'd my name come from? Well, son, you were so hairy. We decided to name you. Harry. It's a special name for me as well. Um, Harrison, son of hair. That's what my name means. So we have their names, and the Bible lets us know their names, and I think this is very specific. Because one thing we're going to see in this story is that these are the literal names of both Jacob and Esau. But as the story goes on, what we're going to find out is that their literal names become secondary to the reputation that begins to follow them. And so this morning, what I want to speak on, and who I want to speak to, I want to speak to any of us who have ever felt like we have a reputation. 
Maybe you have a name. Maybe it's a name that people call you and it's a negative thing. Or maybe for most of us, more relatable, it's a name that we call ourselves. How does this happen? How do these things that were once beautiful, once cute, become soiled? How does our reputation take a hit? The verses and the story is going to show us. So it goes on. Jacob and Esau are grown now. It says this. It says, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. So they're living up to their stereotypes. Jacob, he said, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why he was also called Edom. Keep that in mind for a second. Jacob says to him, first, sell me your birthright. So here's what's happening. Jacob is at home. He's cooking up a beautiful stew. He's staying in his place among the tents. And Esau, his brother, has been, out cook, has been out hunting. He's been out doing all the manly things. And manly things make you hungry. Come on, somebody. And so Esau comes home, and he's super, super hungry. And Jacob conveniently is cooking up some stew. And so he's like, bro, like, I'm so hungry. Just give me some of that stew. And Jacob's like, sure, I'll give you some stew. All you got to do is trade me the birthright. That's it. Now, what's the birthright? In order for us to understand the story, we need to understand the birthright. In the culture in which you're looking at the story, the ancient culture, every single home uh, with children had something called the birthright. And the birthright belonged to the oldest son. And what it was, it was a double inheritance of what the father had. And so the father, what he would do in ancient culture, he would give things to his children. And so the oldest would get a double inheritance, but even more so than that, the family name, that reputation would be passed down through the oldest. And so although they're twins, Esau came out first, and so Esau was technically the oldest, and so Esau was the one that was in line for the birthright. And so it meant prestige, but what the Bible tells us as well is that Abraham, his son Isaac, the Lord didn't just bless them spiritually, he blessed them financially, come on. Somebody. And so the birthright, other than just the prestige, it was also a lot of stuff. It was money. It was cattle. It was wealth. And so all of these things, everyone understand, you guys understand the birthright? Yeah. It's a lot. Someone say a lot. a lot. It's a lot. And so Esau comes home and Jacob says, trade me all that for some lentils. Now, you guys don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to probably deduce that's not a very good trade. That's a, that's a bad trade. Look what happens. Verse 32. He says, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? How many of you guys have husbands out there, wives? You guys know what it's like when we're hungry? It's like, I'm going to die. I'm just so hungry. And so what's interesting, I want us to see this. Esau, because he's feeling something in the moment, which is hunger, he's willing to trade something far more valuable to satisfy that immediate need. Do you guys see that? Because of what he was feeling in the moment, essentially what he's saying, he's like, the birthright is fine. I know it's a lot. I know it's in store for me. But because I can't see it right now, I need to satisfy that which is right here, which is my stomach. And so he makes a trade. He says, sure, I'll take some of that soup. I'll take some of that lentils, that stew. The birthright is yours. And so the reason this is important 
is because what the Bible is showing us is the Bible is showing us how our names and our reputations begin to take form. And we're going to see both Jacob and Esau, but I want to look at Esau for just a second. And so what Esau does, Esau trades something very valuable. He trades what is his. He trades his reputation for something temporal. And so we're asking this question for so many of us, because I don't believe anyone in this room was born as a negative. No one was born as reputation. No one is born as a loser. No one is born as someone that just gets angry. Why are you always stressed? No one gets born with these labels, but how do these things get attached to us? I think a lot of times what happens is the little decisions that we make each and every day. And so listen to this. One of the quickest ways that we can soil our reputation is this. If you're taking notes, write this one down. It's when we trust our stomachs when we're hungry. So here's the point, and it sounds elementary. Don't trust your stomach when you're hungry. Can, can, I, can I speak literally, literally for a second? Any of you guys ever made a bad choice when you're hungry? Anyone ever gone shopping when you're hungry? And it's like, I don't know why I bought this huge thing of like, what's like the worst thing you can buy at the grocery store? I don't know, like, <laughs> the Costco cheese balls. Have you guys seen those ones? It's like, I don't know how this thing came into my house. I don't even have room. It needs its own room. It's so big. The reason we make these decisions is because what happens is we trust our stomachs when we're hungry. Any of you guys ever driving around and you're starving? And when you're driving around, especially St. Albert, Edmonton, like every single corner, you see the beautiful picture of the Golden Arches McDonald's. And you're like, I know this is going to slowly kill me and my family, but I'm hungry. And so what happens is when we trust our stomachs, when we're hungry, we end up making bad decisions. Now, I'm speaking very literally, but let me take this metaphorically. Because when I talk about our stomachs, when I talk about hunger, what hunger is in our lives is any time we have a deficit in our lives. Because each and every day, all of us will be faced with situations where we are hungry, metaphorically speaking. Maybe we're stressed out. Maybe we're sad. Maybe we're angry. Maybe we've just lost a job. And we make these decisions in the moments when we're in these low parts of our lives that we end up regretting. Can I bring it closer to home relationships? This is what happens for so many of us. We're in a relationship, and when that relationship ends, we have this void. And so what we do, instead of trying to heal, we just begin to fill that void with another relationship. That's what's called the rebound. And what happens, and we all know these people, maybe you are this person, but if you're sitting beside them, don't look at them. But they go from relationship to relationship to relationship, and they never actually heal. And a lot of times, they get into bad relationships. Why? It's because when they're hungry, when they feel lonely, I just need a pulse. I just need someone that will go somewhere with me. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what she does. I just need someone. And so we trust our stomachs when we're hungry. Now, it's funny because we look at, we look at Esau in this story. And it's like, man, it's so easy to get on him. Like, what an idiot. Like, I would never trade something so valuable for a moment of pleasure. But I'm here to suggest, I wonder how many of us have done this time and time again. Where it's like, I don't feel something right now. And I know God has a promise for me over there. But I can't see over there right now. And she kind of looks good right here, right now. And so we trust our stomach when we're hungry and we end up making bad decisions. Now listen, again, hunger can, can symbolize anything. It's stress, right? 
It's funny, I know um, we've kind of been in this pandemic now for uh, five, six months, a lifetime, six years. <laughs> and I remember uh, when this whole thing started, like probably like two or three days into it, uh, my uncle, he sent uh, my family this group text. And in the text, he sent us this poem. And uh, it was this utopian poem um, that said, you know, uh, this, this virus right now is actually meant to bring us together uh, this will be the time when the world unites as one and we'll all love each other and rainbows and butterflies. And two days in, it's like, yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> How many guys know that didn't happen? Right? And so here we are six months later, and I don't know about you, but I feel like as a world, as a people, we're more divided than ever. You guys feel that? It's like everyone is so mad at everyone. Like right now, the big issue is like this masks, Right? And when it comes to masks, there's like the two camps, right? Where it's like, you better have a mask on or you're the worst. Or it's like, you better not make me wear a mask, otherwise you're taking away my freedom. And so we have these two extremes, right? That's, that's just the issue today. And I know throughout the last five months, there's been different issues. But it seems what this virus has made us do, it's made us pick a side. And it's like, man, this is my side and that side's the enemy. In fact, I hate that side. And you see this online, it's like, man, how could those people talk to each other that way? It's like, how could you have such hate? It's just a piece of plastic over your faith. But what happens, listen to this, I think the reason, whether it's this issue or the other issues we faced, the reason our world is so polarized is because as a nation, as a world, we don't see it, but we're more hungry than ever because we're stressed out. For some of us, we've lost our jobs. For some of us, we've lost people. We've lost our health. We've lost security. And so we're hungry. And when you trust your stomach when you're hungry, you end up making bad choices. And so it's like, that person disagrees with me. I'm hungry. I'm stressed. I hate you. Put it on. Take it off. You want to know what's interesting? Both sides of the spectrum, and this is with most issues, they have more in common than they see. Because both sides, we're both just scared. One side says, I don't want to get sick. The other side says, I'm afraid my freedom is going to be taken away. Both sides are scared. But what happens when we trust our stomach and our impulse, and our impulse says attack? We begin to soil our reputation. Can I speak to Christians for a moment? A lot of times as Christians, Jesus says, be the light of the world. Right now, it's like, man, my Facebook status, I'm going to tell these people what's up. <laughs> I saw a tweet this week, and uh, someone shared it. I don't even know the guy that shared the guy that wrote it, but it spoke to me um, profoundly, and it said this. Um, it says, if G if, if it's really curious, he says, it's a really curious evangelism strategy to despise the people that you're trying to convert to Jesus. It's a really curious evangelism strategy. And the reason this spoke to me profoundly is because I find myself, like most of us, we have all have a side of the spectrum that we're on in terms of how we see the world. And I didn't even realize it myself, but because of my views, I had seen people with opposing views as stupid, as idiots. How could they believe that? And there are certain stuff, maybe they are dumb. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Maybe I'm dumb. But the reality is what he's saying is, saying, hey, if you're trying to reach people for Jesus, how are you going to reach anyone that you hate? How are you going to reach people that you despise? 
How do you reach people that you disagree with? Because it's fine to disagree, but our culture and our stomach when we're hungry says disagreement means that we can't even associate with each other. Some of you guys like Harrison, no, 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 that's just a tweet. If someone's wrong, we gotta tell them. If someone is, is doing bad things, we gotta hate them. Well, if you guys don't believe Rich, I don't know who he is, thanks for the tweet. Maybe this will speak to us more. Matthew chapter five, verse 43. This is Jesus speaking, a little more weight. He says, you have, heard that it, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Modern times, you could say, you have heard it said, love those that agree with you, hate those that disagree with, that, that disagree with you. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Come on, yeah, you can clap your hands. Don't be afraid. Listen, the quickest way to soil our reputation is to become people that are known for what we are against. Doesn't matter what you're against. People want to know more. What are you for? As a church, we say we're for people. I'm for anyone. I don't care what you believe in. I have a common interest, and that's Jesus. I want you to see him. We want to be known as people that are for other people. This may come as a surprise to you, but no one's ever been converted to Jesus from a debate. I've yet to see it. You can let me know if a Facebook comment battle war has ever brought someone to Jesus. Show me the thread after. I'm very curious. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is what are we doing? Why are we trusting our stomach when we're hungry? You see, we just have to understand I'm hungry because if we don't see that deficit, we'll never be able to guard against it. And so Esau, in this moment, he trusts his stomach when he's hungry. Again, verse 32, he said, look, I'm about to die. What good is my birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore him an oath, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. So like, here's the birthright. I'll throw some bread on it as well. I know you just wanted the stew. Here's some bread. It says he ate and he drank, then he got up and left. But look at this part. It says, so Esau despised his birthright. He despised it. In other words, he didn't care about it. You see, for so many of us, I wonder if we make decisions. I wonder if we act in a way. I wonder if we carry ourselves in a way that it's like, man, I don't really care what people think about me. Whatever. He despised his birthright. Listen to this. I believe that God has a calling on each and every one of our lives. And God has called us to a higher standard. And so what he's saying, he's saying, man, don't trust your stomach when you're hungry. Because that's the quickest way to soil our reputation. What's interesting is that the Bible says that Esau became known as Edom. Do you guys know what Edom means? It means Red red stew. And so literally, get this, whenever Esau went around and people called him Edom, it was a dig. It's a reminder. This is what you did. You're the person that was dumb enough to trade your birthright for some red stew. But it's the same thing in our lives. That's where reputations come from. It's from those moments where we trust our feelings, we trust our stomachs when we're hungry. But the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? 
Because there are many times in life where we actually recognize exactly what we're feeling, but then we do the wrong thing anyways. Why do we do this? I think the answer is quite simple, is that everything that Esau was feeling, everything that we feel in our lives are legitimate feelings. I need us to understand this. The Bible says that Esau was was hungry. You know what that means? The problem with Esau was not that he was hungry, right? Because a lot of us like, oh, if he wasn't hungry, he'd be okay. The reality is this, hunger actually comes from God. If we did not have the emotion, the feeling of being hungry, we would die because we wouldn't eat. And so the emotion was not the problem. The problem was how he went about satisfying that emotion. Listen to this. There's nothing wrong with being tired. That's that's a sign that you need to sleep. So what happens, listen to this. The reason that we often get in trouble is because we do not know how to handle our legitimate feelings. I would say feelings that even come from God. Hunger comes from God. And so what happens, how our reputation is soiled, please write this one down. Sin, I could even say our reputation, is when we meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. When we meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. There is nothing wrong with being hungry. But how are we going to satisfy that need? Listen, let me, let, me, let, me, let me bring it back to, 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 to something close to us. The, the feeling of, um, I guess we call it sex or lust, right? Well, one of the quickest ways that you can ruin uh, yourself, ruin a relationship, is through like sexual um, sin, I guess would be the word, right? Whether that's like in a relationship, stepping outside of a relationship, through pornography, so on and so forth. Now, I talk to a lot of people because us as humans, uh, sexuality is probably one of the quickest ways we get in trouble. And so for a lot of people, they just say, man, my issue is lust. If I just didn't have lust anymore, if I just didn't have these desires, then I would be okay. And then we get on our knees and say, God, just take away these desires. God, just take away these feelings. Listen, if God took away those feelings, those desires, you'd need a medication. For men, it's blue. Listen, listen, listen. Sexual desire, lust, comes from God. It's a positive thing. It's a legitimate need. And so what happens, what that means, is we need to meet it in a legitimate way. It's not about, it's not about getting rid of it. It's about managing it. It's about controlling it. It's the same thing for whatever we're feeling. If it's, if it's, if it's stress, if it's anger, if it's because a lot of us are like, man, I have a righteous indignation. And literally, there is, a, there is a time where certain things should make us angry because it goes against maybe the character of God, the nature of God. Hate. When people hate, that should make us angry. But the problem in how our reputation soils is when we try to meet that legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And that's what Esau does. And so what happens in life is that we need to learn how to handle and how to control these legitimate wants. And so Esau becomes Edom. Now, I've, I've spoken a lot on Esau, and um, my great apologies to kids, because we're going over time today. Someone say we're going over. I'm looking at Tito, because he's using kids. Can you guys clap your hands for Tito? Man, just amazing. Man of God. He's not in kids this week, so I'm giving him a special message. And 
time away from the kids. That's why I'm doing this. Because uh, we haven't even looked at Jacob, but we need to understand Jacob. You see, Esau has his reputation, but Jacob's not off the hook. Because I believe very intentionally Jacob had that stew waiting because he knew what was about to transpire. Because chances are, and you guys know this if you're close with people, you are able to identify the patterns of those who are close to you. And so Jacob knows, man, when my brother's hungry, he's desperate. So I'm going to be ready. And so what happens for Jacob is Jacob, he gets what he wants. I wanted the birthright. You, you could even say for Jacob, he had a legitimate need as well. I just, I just, want, I just want to be known. I just want to have prestige. And I believe in the purest form, there is a way where we want to be known because I believe God wants to use your life to make a difference. And so Jacob, once again, has this legitimate need. I want my life to have significance, but Jacob does the same thing and he goes about meeting that legitimate need in an illegitimate way. I'm gonna trick my brother, I'm gonna take his birthright. Now what happens with Jacob is that Jacob has now everything that he thinks he needs. I have the birthright. I'm good. I got it going on. The issue, though, is this. When you get something in an illegitimate way, when you have it, it still won't be enough. And so you'll chase and you'll chase and you'll chase. And so what happens is Jacob has everything he could ever want. I got the birthright. I got the name. I got the riches. I got all this good stuff. But there's another thing in the culture, in the ancient culture. There's the birthright and there's the blessing. Everyone following? And so what the blessing is, the blessing is the thing that before the father would die, he would bless his children. And once again, the oldest son had a special blessing. Now you need to understand this. The blessing is amazing, and, and there's a very spiritual component in it. And I, I believe we need to bless people. But, but, but technically speaking, at the very end of the day, Jacob already had the birthright, so he didn't really need the blessing. The blessing would just be cherry on top. Like, if I had to choose, like, sure, Esau, take the blessing, I'll take the birthright, I'm going to take the stuff. Like, whatever daddy says about you, take it. But what happens, listen to this, is because Jacob got what he thought he needed the wrong way, he wasn't satisfied. And so he felt like he needed more. Have you guys ever been there? You thought you needed something, you went about it the wrong way, so you needed more, more, more. So he chases and he chases and he chases. And what the Bible tells us is that Jacob wants the blessing that Esau has. And so Genesis 27, I'm just kind of skimming over it. I'm not going to read anything. What happens is that Jacob tricks his dying father. His father's blind now, and they're twins, right? So he can kind of pull this off. So he tricks his father. What he does is he puts on some goat skin because his brother's hairy. That hasn't changed. And he pretends to be Esau. And Jacob and uh, Isaac, his father, blesses Jacob. And once again, Jacob takes what isn't his. Once again, an illegitimate way. What I want us to see is that Jacob thought he had what he needed, but because he went about it the wrong way, he just wanted more. And so we chase, and we chase, and we chase. It's relationship, relationship, relationship. Facebook post, Facebook post, Facebook post. It's outburst, outburst, outburst. And so Genesis 27 now, Jacob tricks Isaac and Esau finds out. And Esau says this, very interesting. He says, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. 
Now understand this, I told us off the top that Jacob means heel grabber, the one who grasps the heel. Now when this was written, this is written many years after the fact. And so the nation of Israel is reading this. And now for the nation of Israel, get this, amongst the people, there was an idiom that began to, 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 to circle about them. If you deceived someone, if you stole something from someone, they would call you a Jacob. They would say, you're a Yahan. You're a deceiver. And so Genesis being written, looking back on the past, it's letting us know the origins of this idiom. This is where it came from. It came from the fact that Jacob was a deceiver. And so once again, Jacob, the same as Esau, the name that once was something cute, once had a hope and a purpose, has now been soiled. He has a reputation. He's, he's Jacob, the deceiver. I wonder if there's anyone in this room, maybe you're thinking right now, there's a name attached to you. Maybe you have a reputation. Something that follows you around. I want us to see something. This is very interesting. We're going back now. This is before they were born. Genesis 25. God gives a word to Rebecca. He says this. The Lord said to her, the two nations, two nations are in your womb and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older, look at this, will serve the younger. Why is this important? Before Jacob and Esau ever existed, the Lord spoke a word to Rebekah and he said the younger one will serve the older one. You want to know what that means? Jacob's whole life, his entire life, he was chasing what was already his. He was chasing what God had already promised him. He thought, man, I need to get power. I need to get prestige into my, my, my own way, my own way. I need to do it. Well, listen to this. Listen to this. What he was chasing, God had already provided. God had already promised can I tell you something, church? Whatever it is that you are chasing, whatever it is you think that you need, that you think I have to do this myself, I have to go about it my way, I have to deceive, I have to make, whatever it is, if God has promised it, listen to this, he is going to provide it. If God promised it, he is going to provide it. If the need comes from God, if it's a legitimate need, he will provide the solution. That means you don't need to chase. You don't need to go about it your way. We don't need to deceive anyone. If God promised, he's going to provide. He's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. Come on, somebody. Listen, this is your promise. This is all of us. This is our promise. First Peter chapter 2 says this. It says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God says, you're chosen, you're holy. Listen to this, in the Old Testament, to be a priest was a distinction that only very few people had. Jesus comes along and says, through me, through my blood, you're all priests, you're all chosen. All you guys have... And so listen, if God has promised it, he's going to provide it. So write this one down, write this one down. Please do not forget this. Every single day, put this in your mind. If I'm chosen, I don't need to chase it. 
If I'm chosen, I don't need to chase it because if God provided, if God promised, he's going to provide. God says, I am who I say I am. Just try me. Just try me. Now listen to this. Because there's people in the room right now, it's like, Harrison, man, like, that's a solid word, but I, got, I have a reputation now. Like, I've made some mistakes. I've chased and I've chased, and I'll have a name attached to me. I'm a slut. Everyone just thinks I'm an angry person. I'm a deceiver. I'm a cheater. Whatever your label is, I want to give us some hope. And I want to show us what God does. What happens with Jacob, we're skipping ahead. The Bible tells us that Jacob's life goes on. And he gets married and he has many children and uh, 12 kids. Two wives, come on somebody. We'll look at that, don't get any ideas anymore. But what happens, and this is the irony, Jacob gets everything that he thinks he needed, yet he's on the run. He's hiding from his brother. And so what God had promised, even the birthright, he couldn't fully step into it. Because a part of that is the land. And he couldn't live in the land because he was scared of his brother. And so many years pass, Jacob is now an older man. And the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. It says, so Jacob was left alone. I need you guys to understand this. Some of the greatest things that God wants to do in our lives happen when we're by ourselves. I know for a lot of us, we're afraid to be alone. I don't, I don't want to be in my own thoughts. I don't want to just be, just be being God because when I'm by myself, all I see is who I am and I'm not good enough. But the Bible says Jacob was left alone because when we're alone, God wants to begin to do something. It says when he was alone, a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And now the context will let us know that this is God that he's wrestling with. A lot of scholars believe this is actually Jesus in a, in, in a pre-incarnate form before the New Testament. Man, God wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man, this is God, said, let me go for it is daybreak. Jacob replied, get this, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I'm not letting go. Now this shows us the major shift in Jacob's life. Because in Jacob's younger life, he had this belief that everything falls on me. Whatever I want, I have to chase it. It doesn't matter how I go about doing it. But what's happened in this shift as he's older, as he's realized, man, I'm on the run. I've been living on the run for so long. I've had this reputation. He says, I'm not letting go until you bless me. Jacob says, I've tried it my way, but God, I need you to do it. I need you to do it. Look at this, verse 27. So the man asked him, what is your name? Now we already understand this, with Jacob's name comes the reputation. And so when he answers Jacob, that's shame. That's, that's Jacob the deceiver. That's Jacob, the one who's done everything in his power to get ahead. He says, my name, my name is Jacob. Understand this, and I've said this before. When God asks a question, it's not for him to learn something. It's for us to learn something. He says, what is your name? Get this. God cannot begin to work in our lives until we first acknowledge who we are. He says, I'm Jacob. This is everything. 
This is who I am. The man said to him, look at this, you will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. You want to know what Israel means? Israel means God fights for us. God fights for us. I don't need to do it. I just got to rest in his promises because all of God's promises are yes and amen. Let's just stand for a moment. I want to speak to someone. I believe this morning there are people you came in here, your hearts are heavy. You came in here with a name. You came in here with reputation. I believe this morning the same call that went to Jacob comes to us this morning. Where God, where Jesus says, hey, I want to make you new. I want to change everything. All we have to do is make that decision. And so right now, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. This morning, if you want to just say, hey, Jesus, I need you. God, I want you to change my life. And for some of us, maybe this is the very first time we've made this decision. But for others, it's saying, God, I need a reputation restoration. I want to do that today. If you want to do that, if you want to give Jesus your life, if you want to give him everything right now, I want to give us the chance. So I'm just going to count down from three. And all you got to do is raise your hand. In three, two, one, just show me your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't we pray this together? Everyone just say, dear Jesus, I need you. I need you now more than ever. I give you my everything. I give you my wins and I give you my sins. Make me a new creation and give me a new name. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Everyone said, Amen, amen. Hey, dear Jesus, thank you so much for this time, for this space. We love you, God, so much. You're so good to us, Jesus. God, I pray blessing over every single person here. We love you, we love you, we love you. We pray in your name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening to that message. We hope you were encouraged and inspired. Hey, we would love to get to know you, love to meet you. Why don't you head over to kingdomchurch.ca and fill out a connect card. We'd love to get in touch with you. Until next time, take care.